Big Sky, Big Potential. In association with Mills and Reeve, this is Eastern Promise. Achieving more together. When you look at the renewable energy opportunities, all of a sudden, the Norfolk and Suffolk coastline, we're right in the vanguard, right at the front line. We have a hell of a lot to offer the UK, and actually, we can keep the lights on single-handed. That was Peter Aldous, Member of Parliament for Waveney, co-chair of the all-party parliamentary group for the East of England, and our guest on the Eastern Promise podcast this week. I've used that clip several times on the podcast, and for good reason. First, because it's true. Second, it outlines the opportunity that the renewable energy sector represents for the East of England, and vice versa. Finally, Peter's comments reflect the fact that Lowestoft, the largest town in his constituency, is being transformed by the sector's presence. Although I was keen to discuss a wide range of issues, from offshore wind to online democracy, it so happened that I met Peter in a very busy portcullis house in Westminster on the day of the autumn statement. Peter was kind enough to share his personal view of the Chancellor's various announcements. Well, it's, a, it's very early days, and you know, you know literally, we've we've had an opportunity to consider it and digest on it for a matter of hours. In the past, it's um, if they are going to unravel, they unravel sort of <laughs> over the day, the next few days to come. I have not, as yet. If indeed there is any such sort of albatross or thing that is going to fall, come out of it. They're pasty tax. Well, let's go. Caravan taxes. Uh-huh. It went in, back in 2012, my phone was ringing and pinging. Uh, and do you know what? I before, bet it was. Before, I bet it was. Before, before I'd even left the chamber. So <laughs> we've, not had, we've not had that no, this time around. No, no. And... Uh, actually, if we look at the macro level, um, I think the, this, this Chancellor was continuing the steady that he goes, assuring the markets approach that he has done, the fiscally responsible, caring, compassionate, conservative approach, mm-hmm. which I think he has pursued successfully over the past... 13, 14 months or so. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a continuation in what he's done. I think it was sensible policies. The issues that I was just outlying previously, a lot of emphasis on investment zones. Of mm. course, we don't notice many investment zones in our neck of the woods. No. As I was saying, we have an enterprise zone in Lowestoft and Yarmouth. That needs a little reinvigorating. That is a point I've made in the past. That is a point I'll continue to make in the coming weeks, mm-hmm. might even make it when I respond in the debate in the next three days. We have the normal, how can I put it, the normal routine of, of reconfirming business rate reliefs for the next period. You actually have an alternative to do that, but I do think ultimately we need to get back to a system whereby business rates are 
the uniform business rate as, or the, the multiplier is at is is instead of being at 54 53 yeah. be steadily creeping up for those who are paying it at the full amount needs to be back down at 30 35 b which is what it came in when 19 in the 1990s so it's not such a large sum of money for those who are paying it mm. and therefore in that way people can um, know where they're standing now the act that we've just put through parliament in the last session the non-domestic rating act as it now is that is a first step towards doing that. I think the government could have gone a little bit quicker, mm -hmm. but you know, it's, they've made that step, with it, so it's welcome. Yeah. But, you know, I will be pressing the speed of travel is important. Excellent. And as a, the final point is, if you looked at the welfare arrangements, very important that the um, that you, um, that um, universal credit, other benefits are going up in line with inflation at. The September rate, the higher rate, you know, we're still in a cost of living crisis. We are, yeah. And I think that's going to, you know, carry on over this winter. And if we look at um, certainly what I've picked up over the last six months or so in my, is the local housing allowance, which had been frozen for some time. Um, that was beginning to cause a lot of strain with, you know, with um, rents in the private rented sector in particular going up significantly. It's great that you know the chancellor has recognized that i would then just say that the you know the measures to get people in back back into work the chancellor has identified an issue there is labor shortages labor mismatches right yeah. across the economy and yeah. so he is introducing measures to address those um, and in, princi in principle, I am supportive of them. Yeah. But what we do not want to be doing is there are an awful lot of people a long, long way from the labour market. Some people with disabilities and issues who will never return to never return to work. And we don't. We, those people we need to be treating compassionately and understandingly. And you know, I, I don't want to have a situation whereby someone who has got a terminal illness or who has got a disability that is only going to get worse is sort of um, being sort of kidding and controlled back yes. to work when it's completely in yes. Well, there's always a risk, I think, of trying to hammer uh, square pegs into round holes, if you like. Um, I mean, yeah. it reminded me of your contribution, I think it was to the, the Lord's Amendments of the, the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill, when you really sort of talked about the cascade effect of, of really of good housing uh, in terms of that the, the mental and health and well-being of the occupants that people in better housing do better at school get better jobs better tax sheets and, and that is exactly the kind of of I think the, exactly the right sort of cascade effect we should be looking for that, that is, you know I think I think as I said this particular junction in time that has become very very expensive the local housing allowance increasing that addresses the short-term problem. The longer-term problem is we need to be building more housing, mm. particularly at the social rent and, and, the, and the affordable level. The mechanisms to do that are through our housing associations, a lot of whom are facing serious challenges at this time, mm. and also through Homes England. Now, I don't think there's any magic formula we can, magic wand we can wave to address that, other than reinforcing and consolidating those two particular, mm -hmm. you know, the, those two particular avenues and means of 
actually building more housing to rent. And then you need a conveyor belt where people, once they've got that neat foot on the ladder, yeah. housing ladder, they can move forward. That, that conveyor belt, those initial, those rungs on that housing ladder, they have fallen away in recent years. We need to put them back. No, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things we're going to be looking at on the podcast side of Eastern Promise, because we're sort of, uh, I'm trying to sort of broaden it out beyond just a podcast, keep the podcast, but broaden out, is models like something called Forest Villages, which was um, mooted by a, a, an architect in Norwich called Matt Wood. Uh, the housing sort of within, shrouded in trees, cars left, kept at the periphery, active travel dominates throughout affordable housing. But anyway, I'm sticking with the levelling up and regeneration bill, because you made a number of, I think, really interesting, people should go and read it, really interesting um, contributions to that debate. And you referenced your uh, vice presidency of the Suffolk Association of Local Councils and um, the kind of the government's moratorium on online meetings. And I thought that was really interesting, because if I was a number 10 or a DLUC Department of Levelling Up press officer, I think I would be nervous about councillors saying slightly offensive things and then it going viral um, because it's very easy to capture. However, I'm just interested in, in, in your take on that because elected councillors, they, they have an enormous, uh, an immediate impact on everyday life for most people, for, if I may say so, more so than, than an MP does uh, necessarily um, because of things like planning which are in their, 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 their purview. So I just wanted to know what, you, what your, the feedback you'd got from that was and, and what, what kind of motivated you to make that contribution and where you think we're going in terms of sort of trusting local councillors to be up to the task. Well, I think first of all with the levelling leveling up bill, an awful lot of the motives behind or, and, and the levelling up act as it now was, yeah. was about devolution, letting mm. you local councils, local people get on it, having in Excellent, yeah. and then suddenly saying, no, you can't have <laughs> the meetings, we're not allowed not you that. to yeah. run the, those meetings as in the way you would like, we're saying you're going to do it like this. Now, I think where I come, came from, and it, come, it came out of Covid, in that during Covid, all of the um, um, local councils meetings went online. And normally, I am unable to attend local council, you know, town yeah, council yeah, meetings because yeah. I'm, I'm normally here, down yeah. here. Um, but that did enable me to start attending some. And that is something that I have continued. I can't do it every month because of clashes, but things like Bungie Town Council meetings that take place on a Thursday evening, which very often is, I'm still here just doing catching up with paperwork before I go and catch a train home. Mm -hmm. That's, so that one's one I do try to attend fairly regularly. Beckles Town Council meetings are a little bit more challenging because that is on a Tuesday evening at seven o'clock when very often I may be trailing through the um, voting lobby. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been able to attend those, and I've been yeah. able to see how those councils operate. They operate in a, in a practical, common-sense way, and the, them, giving them the responsibility to decide how they operate their meetings and the, the voting arrangements... I think was a sense, and I don't think they would say, right, chaps, we're never going to meet 
no. in public. Uh, we're all going to sit in our houses. And you've got a nightmare scenario then of you have people who are elected representatives who never leave their houses. Yeah. You would, you, that, that would, these are sensible people. That would, yeah. not, that would not happen. And there can be, and there was an instance fairly recently where I attended, where a particular councillor was not at that meet. He was in online not able to um, attend. Um, I'm assuming he might have been ill or something like mm -hmm. that. And in that sort of situation, he should be allowed to to, 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 to vote yeah. in thing. And I think also linked to it, so I've had represent, representations both from Salk, mm -hmm. the Suffolk Association Local Councils, from the Town and Parish Councils, the Volunteers. I've also had representations actually from the, the higher tiers, um, mm. from um, from Suffolk County Council, from East Suffolk Council, say look, and also from the Boards Authority, ah, which is yes. covered by this. Now, if you look at Suffolk and indeed Norfolk County Councils, and indeed the Boards Authority, these are authorities that cover a long, a large geographical really do, area. Yeah. Now, do you want sometimes elderly? councillors travelling miles and miles and miles late at night, maybe in clement weather, from, I don't know, from, you know, um, down from Ipswich up to Bungie or Lowestoft or somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, couldn't, yes, you have, to, the majority of meetings have to take, should take place in person. But couldn't we just have a little bit of flexibility there? Yeah. And I think it's flexibility that they would probably use responsibly. Obviously, we also, as we've had experience in the last few weeks, had um, inclement weather conditions. There yeah, were storms we have. coming in. Mm. And I suspect some councils have probably said, well, hang on, they're res responding to the advice from, um, from the weather, the weather centre and the environment agency have said, well, hang on, we're actually going to have to cancel this meeting. Well. They didn't need. To, they wouldn't need to cancel the meeting if they could do it online. Yeah, exactly. So no. that was that was an issue I raised. I think certain, and you know, and I voted accordingly. I think actually it was something. You know, I wasn't a sort of lone voice on that. <laughs> if you if you look at Hansard, there were quite a lot yes, of people yeah, yeah. who came at it from the same way. And I I hope that you know this government or fairly soon whatever government does actually recognise that mm. and introduce that element of flexibility and local decision making. So if we've, you mentioned evolution and obviously we've got yep. elected leaders coming in once the ink is dry yep. for Norfolk and for Suffolk. We've already got a Metro Mayor for the combined authority in Cambridge and Peterborough. What difference do you think, particularly for Suffolk, that's, that's going to make in your interactions with local government and with kind of that, that general interaction, or is it not really going to change all that much? I think what it... Well, <laughs> there is a boat that has sailed that we're never going to get back. Mm -hmm. And the boat that has sailed, which I regret, is actually, you know, I, I'm going to be slightly radical here, um, but, and I think it was an opportunity we missed. I think it was, an, I think, an, an, a, an elected... People don't like the word mayor because they think of towns and cities rather than mm -hmm. regions, but you know, whatever you might call that person, mm -hmm. I think representing Norfolk, Suffolk and Cambridgeshire yeah. would, you know, 
boy, we're a region with such enormous potential and opportunities. Yes. That would have given us real clout to make decisions across that area. And, you know, I'm not, forgive me, we can blow, you can blow areas, blow other regions out of the water. We've got so much to offer. Do you know? And armed hand in hand with that, some form of local government reform. Now, that is an opportunity that has gone. I think it was an opportunity we missed, whether it was back in 2013 or whatever. We are now moving towards devolution on a county basis. Um, I don't think it's quite as good, but I think it is. it will enable better local decision-making funding being allocated to make those decisions those decisions locally and those investment decisions mm. locally and I think that's that is good news do you know you, you, you've done it again you, you're constantly whenever I've, I've spoken to you uh, you did this on a, a vox pop when we did the all-party group meeting um, when you did the leveling up report we had the Hen Davison the local government minister at the time um, speaking um, to respond to it at that time you gave me a quote about our region being able to keep the lights on single-handed through renewable energy that I have to say I have used several times as a trail into someone else's interview just to say that, that somebody who actually summarises in, in one sentence uh, the absolutely huge potential. I mean, I think this is the most exciting time to be in the east of England or, or the second most exciting time, the most exciting time being tomorrow. Um, and, you know, uh, Rachel Bunn at East Coast College, I went to the Energy Skills Centre she sang your praises. What an amazing facility. You, we were talking again earlier about cascading down of benefits, and that just strikes me as, as, an, as the, um, exactly what's happening in Lowestoft. I mean, you drive in now and everything seems to be coming, uh, the buildings are clean and shiny, uh, you know, constant new, new developments, new refurbishments, a kind of the, the town's really kind of raising its head and, and getting the wind, if you pardon the expression, in its sails. That, that, that's amazing. How does that excite you for the future? And, and, and we'll come on to sort of slightly downsides, like contracts for difference, in a minute. But just, I just invite you to sort of share my enthusiasm, really. Well, there is, there is it is incredibly exciting, um, you know. And if you look at those energy opportunities all all along our coast, and also focused on Lowestoft mm. as well. And if you look at, there are opportunities, you know, whether, uh, actually, I still believe there are what I would call fish opportunities in sustainable fishing, a new mm. way of doing things. And that particular, you know, that, that's the challenge we, that we have not made as much progress as we have done on the energy potential. Um, we've obviously got projects like the Gullwing Bridge taking place at the moment. Mm. Now, that is going to make, I think, Lowestoft a more attractive and compelling place to, to do business. So, um, and it can be a catalyst for change and a catalyst for growth. And that, that is something that we've got to make the most of. And, it, and actually, that linked to something like the Towns deal, um, what, that, what the bridge should do is to remove traffic, say, from something like Station Square. Yeah. And at yes. the station in Lowestoft, has the advantage of being, you know, unlike a lot of stations, if you think if you go to 
um, if you go to um, Fort Station in Norwich, or if you go to Ipswich Station, yep. you've got to then go. You've got to then go a bit you've of a walk yeah, yeah. up to the town centre. <laughs> You're right. And it's very it's beautifully off, central. It brings you right into the heart of the town centre, and actually removing. Make, stopping the sort of trunk road going through Station Square, st- having it sort of um, starting from the s- north side of the Gullwing Bridge, you're then going to, that's going to enable us to do something a bit special with that Station Square area. The mm. town's deal is coming up and the, the projects there have come out with some exciting initiatives um, to actually address, if you like, the change, the, tr- the traditional way of that we've done high streets and town centres since, probably since the war, mm. um, has, has gone, largely because of the move of shopping online. And we've got to reinvent these town centres. And I think we're beginning to do that. Um, there's still an awful long way to go. I look at the work you mentioned, Rachel Bunn, at the East Coast College. East Coast College are doing great work. We've still got a lot of work to do to give people, you know, provide people with those skills and opportunities to make the most of these op- that the, these jobs that are coming to our area, so that people don't feel compelled to sort of, um, well, leave 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 stuff and move to London or whatever. No, There's indeed. Gonna, and I think also learning from the lessons of the park. The great thing about the renewables is that there's not an end exactly to that right. yeah, cycle. Yeah, yeah. It, goes all, it should go on and on. Yeah. So it's not a question, well, this is, a, this is my job for five years and then I've got to go and for something else. It can be, it can be there, you know, for, for, your, whole, for your whole career. Yes, you, you, know, you should probably be able to advance and slightly change where you're going in your career, but you haven't got that worry uh, looking over your shoulder, well, it's here today, but uh, let's make hay while the sun shines, but I've got to be looking at something else in the future. That shouldn't be a problem. But I think also what you've got to do, and we've looked at this in the past, you've got to have a diverse economy. And that's, that look, that's looking at the renewables, it's looking at the... It's also looking, as I've mentioned, a, a sustainable fishing industry, yeah. the, you know, the farming and the food processing, and... Leisure and tourism is something that we have got a great offer. And so across all of those, then I think you've got a more resilient economy and you can get away from the situation whereby where you reliant on one industry, when that industry catches a cold, you know, the whole supply chain gets flued. So yeah, exactly. So we've got to, we've got to work. And so I think we are moving in the right direction... But it's a, there's a long way to go. The, if you look, the cost of living crisis where we're, we're now, which we're, we're now in, you know, that presents an obstacle on the way. You spoke again. In, I'm going to use this phrase. I've been using this phrase a lot. You spoke in a debate about round five of the contracts for difference. Now I don't pretend to understand. <laughs> Ask people like Kevin Keeble to explain those to me uh, from Eager or Jonathan Reynolds. But um, I'm name dropping. I just wanted to ask you what your feeling is about round six and seven, because you, you did ask uh, in the debate, have we learned the lessons from round five? Are, are you confident we are in a place I where think, we can well, do obviously, better? Obviously, last week, the, we had the draft announcement for round six, setting the, setting the parameters for the auction next year. And I think in that, the initial feedback is that governments have recognised um, 
the efficiencies of, shall we say, round five, mm -hmm. and there is going to be an opportunity in rounds six and seven to get that, get the offshore wind industries, if you like, mm -hmm. and those projects, you know, which we're off our, off our coast, which are coming forward in that sort of in in the in the wind sector get them back online or on target without doing too much damage mm -hmm. um it was you know if you look and this is say for a start this mechanism the contracts for difference mechanism which the government introduced in the energy act of 2013 i think it was mm -hmm. has been remarkably successful yeah um but then and each year, it's been remarkably successful getting that cost down, competitive bidding. But then, all of a sudden, when it came to round five, as a result of COVID, war in Ukraine, Ukraine yeah. challenges in the whole global economy, suddenly the parameters and the and the ba and the basis on which um, they had been set were were wrong. And I think we saw all saw this a long way out. And it was a you know, I think back in, you know, the announcements were came forward in in October, you know, probably we saw this coming back in February. Um, and it was a bit like setting out on a journey from say Lowstoft up to Glasgow. Yes. You put your sat nav on and it says um, uh, um, there's, a, there's an accident at Scotch Corner on May 1, don't go there. Nevertheless, you set out when you <laughs> yeah. get there, it is. <laughs> Lo and behold. Yes. Yes. But I it think they have up. said it right. And it was quite actually in one of the debates on the CFDs, which I took, took part in, um, Graham Stewart, the minister, he did take me to task a little bit. I, he did, yes. didn't he? I read, I read that with a bit of like, I'm not sure what he's doing well, here, because uh, he, he seemed to be sort of... <laughs> I don't say picking on you, but he was kind of almost gleeful almost. Yeah. And he did actually confess that. <laughs> I promise you I'm not gleeful, but it was quite strange. No, I think where I think the point he was making and I likened it, I was comparing it like to a bit like you compare it like a, to a so say a football match. Mm -hmm. And what I was saying was looking at round five in its oak well, looking at round five, a bit like FA Cup round five. Yeah. We'd lost, end of story. Mm -hmm. Now, what he was saying was, actually, we now have annual rounds, and what this means is that this is a two-legged cup tie. I see, yeah. And mm -hmm. so you're going to be able to get it back yes. in the next round. And, um, well, so far, <laughs> we have... Um, that looks as if it may be coming to pass, but... Um, do I regret what I said? No. No, but I'm I good. I'm glad to hear it. I think it had to be, you know, I think it was quite clear from, as I said, actually about February onwards, that there was going to be this challenge or problem that could cause, mm -hmm. could cause major challenges or major problems for a industry that is very important to our future and it was right to raise it I think government luck have taken that on board and hopefully it's only going to be a hiccup yeah well let's hope so I mean because it's it's so important for Lowestoft and what it's doing for Lowestoft I'm really excited to see Lowestoft grow and I've got some sort of contribution with the Greater Gabbard Fund and which is hopefully going to sort of keep me coming back as I said East, East Coast College was the first part of that but you are one, as you well know, one of the co-chairs of the East of England All-Party yep. Parliamentary Group, which I have to say has a, it, it's sort of been so active 
uh, since, since with, with you and Daniel Zeichner, uh, the other uh, the other co-chair, and uh, he's very active under the joint chairmanship. Steve Barwick does a, a brilliant job on the agenda. Um, there's lots of discussions, both hybrid and in person. Uh, really exciting. Um, what's been your approach to the to the, the APPG, and how would you like to see that work grow? Obviously, there's an election on the horizon, which will alter the dynamic slightly, but um, how would you like to see that work continue? I think the first thing I would just say, and um, I, I can't, I, I was I was part of the decision-making process, but I can't say and uh, take credit for it all. And I think, as you mentioned, someone like um, or Daniel and mm. Steve, who, um, who provides the secretariat, yeah. also the East of England local government. Yes, I'm sorry, I, I apologise to uh, the, Adam and team. The team. What, I think what has been very successful over the past year is we produced last year, we, were, we did our looking at the levelling up um, missions the government has set out. We actually scrutinised them, identified five where there were particular weaknesses. That came out in the report from December of last year. Mm. Now, there's always a temptation. You produce a nice glossy report, you have a launch, then it goes onto the onto the um, onto your sideboard and it gathers yeah, dust desk, and nothing yeah. ever happens. But we've done exactly the opposite. That what that what that report has done, it has basically been our provided our work for this last year, mm. and we've taken that forward. Really, burrowed down on those missions where we've got work to do, and it has informed what we've done. And one of the things we have taken forward, and you mentioned to Hannah Davison, when it comes to housing and skills, mm. we have set up a group with officials from the um, from the Department of Leveling Up to actually really? look at how we're doing, how that how we're do, looking to That's achieve great. those missions and that. to move forward. And it's that sort of um, work, if you like linking together local government, businesses who take part in the APPG, through the MPs, through the all-party group, then government. So we're actually driving yeah. forward and addressing these challenges together. I'm glad you mentioned local government. That's because I think they're a, they're, they're a very important link in the chain, and that's something I've been very conscious to do with Eastern Promises, is make sure that engagement is there and that, that strong relationship is there. Um, we know there's a general election coming in the next 12 to 18 months, and there's, there's been a lot of change to the boundaries of what will be um, the constituencies post-election. I don't want to sort of um, prejudge what the, the electors of Suffolk and... Because we've got, and uh, in, in, in the case of the Waveney Valley constituency, uh, Norfolk would do. That's the, the first cross-boundary one. The only... Do you want me... The one thing I did... I can't, don't think there's a way out of it, but I did see it from being a problem. The... Constituency that I represent, or mm. at the moment, is Waveney. Yes. And a relatively small part of that, the Bungie and the surrounding yes. villages, that is now going into the Waveney Valley seat. And Waveney, per se, the majority of what I now represent, is going back to what I think was from 1920, probably all the way up to 1970, name really? of the lowest stuff of Lowestoft. Yeah. And, um, and 
calling the new one Waveney Valley. It's creating a little bit of confusion. Yeah. Um, that said, when it was talked about, you know, when you look at it, it's it's um, it's areas either side of the River Waveney, mm. going you know from 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 the Bungie area up through Halston, through Dis, yeah. and it's actually taking right up to probably the source of the of the river. Yeah. And therefore, it is going to be... You know, it's, I can see logically why they have called it Waveney Valley, but it is going to create a little bit of confusion. Yes. I mean, we, I remember when I was a, a parliamentary judge, we'd be still getting calls um, from Wyndham long after that had gone into Mid-Norfolk. But, um, I mean, is there any part... Uh, Again, I'm not trying to prejudge the election, but obviously Bungie will be part of this new constituency. Are you, are you going to be sorry that if it should you be returned to the new lowest off constituency, which I'm assuming you're standing in, um, will you miss? The answer is Hailsworth went out some time ago. Did it? I'm Hales- so sorry. I'm looking at the wrong. No, what do you what do you write? What do you originally had when, in 1970? 374, so it would have come in in 1975 general election. That was when you created, you had local government reform Mm -hmm. and the Waveney District Council was created. I remember, yeah. Mm -hmm. And when Waveney District Council was created, the Waveney District boundaries were coterminous with the parliamentary boundaries. Now that was ideal. Everyone Mm. knew where they stood and that was the constituency that Jim Pryor represented. Yes. What has then happened over the years, which is nothing you do about it, the way things go, yes. is that there have been housing development on the edges of, particularly in the edge of, on the outskirts of Lowestoft, you know, someone like Carlton Colville, a village of yeah. um, 300 people, now a, now a community stroke of town of, yeah. um, of 10,000 people. Yeah. And as, you, as they criticise, basically what the, that, that original... Waveney constituency was chipped away. The South Worlds, the Halesworths went into Suffolk Coastal. Yeah. And you have now got a situation with the numbers increasing that you are forming a new constituency. Up until now, in our area, we've been able to form constituencies all within county boundaries. Yeah. This one, actually, looking at the numbers increase, we are... We can only we, you can only justify a half a constituency in Suffolk and half a constituency in Norfolk. So you're merging the two together to get the cross-border one, which I think whoever represents it, it will be a challenge. We're having to deal with lots of district councils. Yes. But the answer is I love representing the constituency as I do at the moment. I there are different opportunities and different challenges in Lowestoft, Beckles and Bungie, and in an ideal world, I would have liked to have had the opportunity to continue to represent that constituency as it was. If, if going right back, um, when David Cameron, remember him? I do. He was, when he was Prime Minister, before he came back in a new incarnation. <laughs> yes. Um, you... He was originally, in 2010, came in, came in and said, we're going to cut the cost of government and therefore we are going to reduce the number of MPs from 650 to 600. Mm, I remember it well. When he did that, and they did do a draft proposal, mm. under that, 
it would have the Waveney constituency as it is would have remained as it is now. Yeah. So I suppose in my wishful thinking, <laughs> I would have liked it, that to have been introduced, but that would have created mm-hmm. a lot of turmoil among constituents or sorry, amongst colleagues yes. who would have suddenly seen that there were that um, you know their constituency might be disappearing altogether. And I think that is ultimately why they've kept to the status quo of six hundred and fifty. I'm going to finish with the question that I've asked the other two MPs I've interviewed so far, George Freeman and Daniel Zeitner. And the parliamentary state, I mean, this is all new new and shiny since the actual palace of Westminster. Um, It's it's not out of the bounds of possibility that a lift might get stuck. And I just wanted to ask, which MP would you most like to be stuck in a lift with? (laughs) Um, um... Prime Minister. Well, very sensible answer. <laughs> so, there you go. an awful lot of things that I think up <laughs> during the course of the day that I would like to bend his ear on. Um, and just for a few minutes, you would have the opportunity to do so. I might be able to... He's obviously... A, he is, you know, if you think about it, three ports and investment zones are actually his creation. Mm-hmm. I would, And I would like to actually say, come on. Um, don't forget the enterprise zones. You've taken an awful lot of what came with enterprise zones and put them into free ports and investment zones, but let keep, let's keep the flame alive and, and burning in those, invest, in those enterprise zones we've got, which actually have been pretty successful in most of the armour, and let's reignite them and carry on with the good work. That's the sort of thing I would like to mention to him. Well, Peter Aldous, MP for Waveney, fighting for Suffolk even when trapped in a hypothetical lift. Thank you very much for your time this afternoon. It's been a pleasure to be here, pleasure to be back in Parliament and a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Many thanks indeed, Mike. Thank you. My huge thanks to Peter. And I don't think it'll surprise you to hear that that's not the last we'll hear from him on the Eastern Promise podcast. To hear other episodes of the Eastern Promise podcast and to find out more about what we do, go to our website at easternpromise.com. .org.uk Eastern Promise is a Priors Croft production in association with Mills and Reeve. Achieving more together.